Good morning and welcome to Worship with St. John's United Methodist Church here in Davenport. I'm Pastor Jeff Dadisman. This is the week of Christmas. This afternoon at St. John's Church, we have a blue Christmas service at 4 p.m. If you have a loss or a struggle this season, maybe this alternative theme service might be a help to you. We're located on the corner of 14th and Brady Street. On Friday, Christmas Eve, our candlelighting services will be held at 1, 7, and 10 p.m. Stay tuned for our Sunday morning worship next. Gracious and loving God, we come to you this moment with our whole heart. Lord Jesus, we are waiting and celebrating your first birth and your second coming too. Lord, in this season of Advent, help us meditate on the meaning of waiting again. Lord, provide your healing light on us. Grant us the wisdom to live our lives right and well. Help us to be brave so that we can go through the stormy night with you, Lord. O oh God, guide us with your words as we go through our lives. We have learned that your words are alive in us. Help us read and learn your word. Lord, bless our ministries here at St. John's Center. Thank you, God, for giving us a chance to serve our community through our ministries. Heavenly Father, now we come to you with the prayer Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Our scripture today is from Luke chapter 2, verse 41 to 52. Every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. 
Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found Jesus in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying. Then Jesus went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. What might Mary have done with the final years of her life? And, and maybe the mission of Mary was to make disciples just like all the other followers of Christ. And maybe she took that on as her uh, life mission. But a part of, uh, I, I think, Mary's hope was in the resurrection of Jesus was the hope of seeing her son again. And so I suggested that uh, as we're in this Christmas season that, that Easter is a, a connection with the, the message and mission of Christ. The, the coming of the baby is tied to the end of his life and what happened at the end. And for Mary, seeing Jesus resurrected, that hope of seeing him again when she died, that becomes our hope as well. And so each Sunday we've talked a little bit about how um, Easter and Christmas are connected. Last week, we, we moved up a little bit, 15 years earlier in Mary's life, and Mary was standing at the cross, and she endured watching Jesus suffer for six hours and then struggle and die. And that as Mary watched, I mean, I just asked the question, did Mary think a little bit about some of those ponderings from the beginning of Jesus' life, the, the message of Simeon? the message of the angels, and how uh, he, was, he was predicted to be the Savior of the world, that he would save people from their sins, and, and how might that happen? And, and as Mary began to put all the pieces together, maybe her ponderings kind of came to this point of Jesus was called the Lamb of God. Lambs were a part of the, the sacrifice system for the Jewish people, and, and as Jesus was sacrificing himself on the cross, did Mary finally say, this is how he's going to save us from our sins? And in that act, you, you had the, the cross and the cradle brought together. You have Christmas and Calvary tied together, that the beginning of Jesus' life and the end of Jesus' life are, are linked inseparably. Today, we, we move back a little further to when Jesus was 12. Mary would have been a, a, a young mom of a teenager, and as we consider uh, the setting, it was, a, it was Passover week, and as was their custom, the Scriptures say, Mary and Joseph took Jesus to Jerusalem for the feast days. And in this passage, the question that uh, I bring to us today, wh why did Mary tell this story? Why was this story captured 
in the Gospel of Luke. Why of all the other childhood memories did she only tell this story? Our study guide that we're using on Wednesdays offers a, a couple suggestions, and, and one is just the beginning would be uh, anytime you have a traumatic memory, it's kind of etched into your brain. As parents, um, we, we all have a few of those. We have a handful of things that our kids survived, um, and, and having a lost child kind of fits what uh, Mary and Joseph went through for those three days. Uh, Susan and I have a handful of those events, um, not, not that she ever lost one of our kids, but I have uh, a memory when I lost uh, our, our middle daughter. Um, we were shopping, looking for dresses, and so Susan is intent uh, on finding something to try on, and, and I'm the holder, and so I'm holding dresses, and, and if you can imagine being in a department store, and in a department store for adult clothing, all the racks are about this tall. And so we have three little kids, two little boys, and then a three or four-year-old girl, and, and they're pretty invisible, except you see the, you know, wave as they're tunneling down the aisle or through the racks, or uh, they, I, I think at some point they got bored of playing tag, and, and that's like, shh, 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 you know, you're just kind of like, stop running in the store, you know, and, and they got a little bored of that, and so they went to hide-and-seek, and, and our two older boys must have suggested, Krissa why don't you hide? And so she found a spot under a rack of clothes, and and then she went silent. And and after a little while of looking and searching, um, one one of the boys tugs, you know, I've got my arms full of dresses, and I feel this tug, and he's like, I said, what? You know, I'm, I'm tired of shopping. You know, it's kind of, that's where I'm at. So I'm probably bordering a little bit on you know, can we just get this? And you know, I'm watching Susan, and all of a sudden, what? You can't find your sister? And I kind of do a quick scan, and, you know, she's nowhere up here six foot high. And um, so I'm like, what do you mean? Well, we're playing hide-and-seek, and she's hiding, and she's been hidden for a while. <laughs> and, and so the, the panic that surges up is like, we have to find her before mom notices that we can't find her. <laughs> and, and so for about 10 minutes, we're like, Krissa, Krissa, you know, you're trying to hiss, you've got this hiss going, where are you? Come out, come out, wherever you are. And, and she pops out, you know, all innocent, like, did I win? You know? Um, and, and that was 10 minutes. So there was 10 minutes, and we're in a, a larger city, you know, it's like you think of all the things, you know, how far could somebody have gotten with her in 10 minutes? And, and Mary and Joseph went three days three days. You know, in in Mary's journey, um, her first assignment was to give birth to God's son, a baby. And her second assignment then was to raise this child, and and all she had to do was was watch over God's son, and she lost him. You know, (laughs) I mean, just think about what Mary was going through those three days, like, I'm, I'm, I agreed to do this, and yet I can't believe I lost him. Lord God Almighty, what am I going to do? And so you, you start to dig into this a little bit, and, and if we kind of slow it down and, and, and kind of ask the question, how many times have we lost a child? And sometimes it's got a funny ending, but not always, does it? People really do lose children. 
And sometimes that trauma is forever. Mary and Joseph are in Jerusalem with 300,000 other visitors. Uh, They've all come for the annual Passover celebration. And it's time for everyone to leave. And and a caravan going back to Galilee, maybe a couple thousand people, uh, rounds up. And um, they're going to walk together the the four-day journey back to their home. Joseph is maybe hanging out with some neighbors and friends, and Mary's uh, traveling with relatives and, and some family members, and maybe they're on opposite ends of the caravan, each assuming that uh, the other has Jesus. Jesus is 12, uh, fairly independent. He, he could have been with the friend group somewhere, too. And, and so they come to their first night on the trail, and, and they link up as a family, and they and there's this moment of, what? Where I thought you had him, I thought you had him, and you don't have him. And, and then just the surge of panic that would have filled their voices as they begin to shout, where's Jesus, where's Jesus, where's Jesus? Can you hear Mary? It's not just been a few minutes. It's not like, you know, leaving someone at a rest stop and then coming back to get them when you realize it. It's been all day. And that means they're a day's journey away from where Jesus might be. They don't know, but they're guessing that he got left in Jerusalem. And maybe they just turn right around and and they make the trek back in the darkness. And they arrive in Jerusalem at dawn and they search frantically for three days. They go to every house they might have visited during Passover. can't find him. They go to every acquaintance that they've connected with in the last week and no sign. And and Mary's dismay, her panic, her anxiety, it just goes over the top. Do you understand why this story got captured and written down? And then finally, they find him in the temple. And and we hear what Mary says. Verse 48, it's kind of interesting. When when the parents saw him, they were astonished. And, And the word astonished and in our study guide for this week, it says it really doesn't mean like, oh, we, wow, you know, we're excited. Oh, he's in church. Um, it, it's not like that. I mean, they're, they're dumbfounded. It's more like, you've got to be kidding. You're just sitting here talking to people, and we're racing all over town looking for you. And, and finally, the verse says, Mary just kind of shouts out, son. Why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been searching for you in great anxiety. And in the study guide, it goes a little bit under that word, great anxiety. And in the Greek, it's not just lots of fretting and worry. Luke uses that Greek word in another parable of Jesus when when the rich man and Lazarus die, the parable of how they both go into the next life The rich man is in hell, and Lazarus is in the bosom of Abraham. And as the rich man describes where he is, that's the word. Uh, I'm in hell. It's kind of like Mary is saying, child, you've put us through hell the last three days. Don't you understand what you've done to us? And maybe that's the reason this memory is cemented into her mind. And that becomes a little bit of our story. All through the generations, parents who have lost kids, maybe we don't lose a child to death, but maybe we lose a child that rejects our faith. They turn away. 
They walk away from the family. There are different ways to lose a child. We're going through Advent this year under the theme, it was not a silent night, and maybe we're doing that because so many of us think it was. We have this Norman Rockwell painting in our minds of, of the first Christmas, the perfect Christmas, and sometimes there's calamity that hits in the middle of our Advent journey. Sometimes it's just that we try to create a perfect family gathering, only our families aren't perfect. Or life can be hard, we're out of a job, or there's just a lot of stress and we're having difficulties, or someone is sick, someone is dying, or we're separated and we can't get together, and that ever-elusive, can we just get everybody at the same table for an hour? It's a part of my perfect Christmas. I don't know what your picture, the, 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 the day would be perfect if only. But all these shortcomings cause us to experience a less than perfect day. Hopefully you see in this journey with Mary that, that the first Christmas, the first visitation of God really wasn't perfect. It had some hard sides to it. And, and as much as I love to do Silent Night on Christmas Eve, and we will, it was not a silent night. It was not a magical night. It was not a perfect, all-is-calm night. And in our journey, in our lives, it probably won't be like that either every year. Life is a mixed bag. It's a mixture of blessings and burdens, peace and pain, joy and adversity. My prayer is that the blessings outweigh the pain. But this story reminds us that the two are mixed, that blessings and burdens are a normal part of our earthly journal journey. Good and bad go hand in hand. They did for Mary, and they do for us as well. This is Mary's story. The Son of God, the gift of God, this 12-year-old boy put her through a living hell for three days. There's joy in raising Jesus, but there's also some stress. And as he grows, there was a new element of sorrow in this moment for Mary as well. Part of what this story communicates to us as earthly parents is that life may be tough for us during certain seasons as well, that we may have moments where we endure uh, something we wish would just go away. Do you worry about kids? Do you worry about grandkids? It doesn't seem to be limited just to three days. As they grow, I remember having that sense of, oh, they become a little more self-sufficient. The worries will go away. And then the first one got a car. And then the second one got a car. And then one of them totaled the car. And then another one totaled the car. And, uh, you know, the worries can get a little bigger. And, and, and then sometimes the police call in the middle of the night. Now, I, I never got a call, but I've certainly sat with other families who did get that kind of call. Parenting is hard work. And I just want to say Christmas is not necessarily a perfect day. And if it was not perfect for Joseph and Mary, it may not be perfect for us either. One thing to remember that things do turn around or can turn around over the years, and, and some of you here and some of you watching put your parents through a little bit of hell, and you're here in church, 
There is hope in, in, in the story of our faith. Luke tells us something else on that day, that when Jesus was found, it was the third day. Does that echo any other reference in Scripture? What, what, what comes to mind when, when I say, on the third day? Yeah. Again, we have that connection. Christmas and Easter come together, and, and Luke knows the end of his story. We know the end of the story, and as a reader, Luke just wants to raise your curiosity a little bit on the third day. And this is another third day. And he gives us a hint of how deeply troubled Mary and Joseph were. They thought Jesus was gone. And after the crucifixion, Mary thought Jesus was gone. And then the third day comes. And this adds another layer to, so why did Mary pick this story to tell Luke? It was so painfully cemented in her memory. And so the, the next response to the question why this story, our study guide uh, lifts it up as a lot of traumatic moments in your family become turning points or defining points. And, and this was a defining moment for Mary and Joseph because it was the first time that, that Jesus kind of stepped into and acknowledged his role as the Son of God. He says, did you not know I had to be in my father's house? And Joseph you know, he, he had an angel visit. He, he was told, this is not your son, it's God's son. He knew that would hit at some point, and there was this slam. You know, his, his body probably felt the impact of those words, just kind of straightforward, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Jesus is starting to, to try on, I'm the son of God. He, he's starting to step into and starting to speak to and that would have been a turning point for Joseph and for Mary. Their son is waking up to his destiny. He's waking up to the role that he would play. And Mary is transported back to the, the words of the angel Gabriel who said, do not, be do not be afraid, Mary. You've found favor with God. You'll be with child and bear a son, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. It's Mary's son, but it's also the son of the Most High. And for Luke, shortly after the angel message is chronicled in the gospel, the scripture goes on with the baptism of Jesus and, and a voice that declares out of the cloud, this is my beloved son. In the next chapter in Luke, uh, Jesus is driven out into the wilderness to be tempted and, and, the, and the devil comes in that temptation and, and asks him three questions. If you're the son of God, do this. If you're the Son of God, you ought to be able to do this. If you're the Son of God, you know, it's kind of like prove it. Prove you're the Son of God. And, and as an adult, Jesus feels the full force, the weight, the responsibility of I am God's Son. So in this passage, in this moment, Jesus is 12. And I want to just make a little connection here. This is why we have confirmation. At the age of 12... Uh, your kids are starting to question, starting to figure out what, what does it mean to be a follower of Christ. And, and in the Methodist Church and many Protestant denominations, if you have infant baptism, confirmation is that time where, where students learn a little more about the Bible, students learn about their faith, and, and they begin 
to make the choice, am I going to continue in the direction that my parents chose for me? You know, in, in baptism, we, we put a child kind of in that um, faith cradle, if you will, or in the boat of Christianity, and, and as a 12-year-old, the student decides, am I going to stay in that boat or am I going to jump out and go in a different direction? Confirmation kind of helps explore a little deeper what does this all mean. It's interesting that, that we have Jesus talking about God as his heavenly Father. That was a pretty new phrase, a new concept, and Jesus as a 12-year-old begins to articulate something that no one in the history of faith had tried to say before. God as Father was an unknown concept. And in, in the closeness that we see between Jesus and His heavenly Father, there, it's not just to say, look how close I am to God Almighty. It was an invitation showing the possibility of knowing God as our heavenly Father as well. That, that's a part of what Luke offers to us. When he taught his disciples to pray, he said, our Father who art in heaven, a pattern that we use every Sunday. Luke included this story because it also demonstrates the unusual response to people when Jesus came near. He's only 12, and it says, All in the temple were amazed at his answers, astonished by his questions, and they were caught up in the wonder of it all. And he was only 12. All who heard Jesus later on also had that same response. That was a common response everywhere that Jesus went for three years in his ministry, and it started when he was 12. People were often amazed, astounded, and astonished. Matthew chronicles that in chapter 11. He did many miracles in their sight, and everybody in the town was utterly amazed. Never before had anything been seen like this in the nation of Israel. Mark's Gospel, chapter 10, Jesus walked on the water to get out to the boat where the disciples and the disciples, his closest friends, were utterly astounded. Said The Sermon on the Mount ends in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. Jesus finished saying these things, and the crowds were astounded at his teaching. This was the normal response by ordinary people everywhere Jesus went. His words impacted all who heard him. And we are meant to be amazed and astounded still. Go in peace. May the God of peace go with you. Amen.